You're listening to Catholic Chicago Week in Review on Relevant Radio 950 AM and 930 AM. During the next hour, the Archdiocese of Chicago brings you conversation about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Welcome to Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Good morning. I'm Michael Mann of the Archdiocese of Chicago's Radio TV office. Always glad to be with you for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Every Saturday, we bring you highlights of our local Catholic radio programs that can be heard Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 in the morning on WNDZ 750 AM. Today, our program begins with Catholic Schools Today hosts Father Greg Sagowitz and Mark Teresi getting an update on Chicago Catholic Schools, including plans for the reopening of schools this fall. Let's take a listen. John Glimko will give an update about Archdiocese of Chicago Catholic Schools. He'll discuss the reopening of schools in the fall plan. John, welcome to Catholic Schools Today. Good morning, John. How are you? Good morning. Great to be on the show with you this morning. Great, great to be, to be with you. about our schools uh, to be reopening this fall. I'll tell you something. If somebody has a lot on their dish, beside a lot of pastors and pastoral teams and all Catholic parishes, schools is really... And we talk about up in the air. So what are the plans, John, for reopening, I presume, at the end of next month? Yes, it's coming up quickly. And our plans are to be back and back together face-to-face because we know that's the best way for our students to learn as well as it's the best way for us to gather as Catholics to celebrate uh, the liturgy together and the, the growth and, and formation of faith. So we do plan to be back this fall, uh, face-to-face instruction, all students are back together. But we're going to do some modifications. Uh, we're focusing on a cohort model for our students in classroom. Okay, now explain to people what is the cohort model. The cohort model is where we're going to be looking at a homeroom type structure for our students, and the students will be together uh, as best possible with the same group of students all day. And it kind of is a, a structure that's being supported already in our elementary schools. Uh, we'll keep the students together, uh, working together in the cohort. Uh, they'll be in their classroom. Uh, one of the requirements is uh, for all of our students, and this is from the state, is that they'll all be wearing masks, but, you know, doing some distancing in the classroom as well. They'll stay together as a group. Uh, special teachers, or like in middle school where they have different specialist teachers that come in for different subjects, will be traveling into the cohort, but the cohort themselves will, as best we can, stay together as a group so it'll help us to um, minimize any uh, exposure, as well as it helps develop a strong, cohesive group of students to work together. Now, what about recess? How does that work? You know, we, we, we know the kids need to move, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. You know, but <clears throat> it's my favorite part of the day. <laughs> absolutely, right? Uh, and we'll find some ways for the students to be, out, be outside together. You know, if, uh, that will be a time maybe that the face mask may be allowed to come off if they can maintain the six feet uh, social distancing and breathe a bit. Uh, and we'll find different strategies, different games. You know, I go back to my old days as a PE teacher, and uh, there are many different strategies we can do that don't involve the traditional law. Uh, uh, games that will allow the students to get out, move around, and um, breathe a bit. So I guess tackle football will be out. Mm. I think it's out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for darn sure. Now let me ask you this, John. I've heard in the classroom, I've read articles, uh, desks three and a half feet apart, desks six feet apart. What will the archdiocese be doing? You know, we're going to benefit from the cohort model that we don't have to have the full six feet apart from desks as the students are together. Uh, there will be uh, masks in the classroom so as well. Uh, but being in the cohort, we have a little bit more room. That being said, we're going to do all we can to maintain good distance between our desks to minimize exposure uh, and make full use of the classrooms. Uh, we have large classrooms in most of our buildings, and we're going to use those spaces wisely to allow for the students to be safe. Now, the thing is, um, are we talking 
children, let's, let's say Mark and I are in a cohort, are we there Monday through Friday, or is it alternate days? How is it working? You know, we are planning in the uh, elementary schools to be there each day. Uh, that's our focus and our target. You may hear some different strategies that different high schools are using, and those will be employed basically because of size. Now, how do the pastors and principals fit in? Are you doing major training with them? Um, because there probably is a diversity of opinion on fully opening. There are, just like our parishes went through training for their uh, pastors and staff to be prepared to welcome people back to the church. Same thing for our buildings. We're providing training for our schools, our principals, and our two different teams. We have a curricular team, a facilities team that we working together, a building team, and making sure our, te- our principals are well-versed as well as the teams are. And we also have a checklist of all requirements that need to be met before the schools can safely open. Now, what about, um, I had heard rumblings that if the parents are not comfortable sending their kids, they can do the distance learning thing. How does a teacher do that? You know, we are going to work to provide a archdiocese program for this to happen, help it. So if there's a family that the student can't uh, return due to medical concerns, either with the child or with the family, but still wants to be part, and we hope wants to be part of our school community, we'll be providing an archdiocese-based uh, learning platform for them to be engaged in learning throughout the course of the year and still maintain uh, a relationship with their church school. You know, what really scares me, John, is that you look at Florida, you look at Texas, you look at Arizona, California, uh, the numbers have re-spiked severely. I think uh, yesterday Florida has set a record now for most, like 15,000-plus cases in one day. Illinois is going up. The deaths, thank God, are going down. But I'm sure this whole thing is so tentative because as we hope and pray COVID-19 goes away, I think we know it's not. And until they come up with a vaccine or reach herd immunity, uh, this is going to stay with us. And so I'm sure the schools are preparing for the absolute worst if we had a close, which I don't want to think that, but I think about in terms of the church is the same thing. So I'm sure you've given that some thought, too. We have. You know, one of the teams that they're asked to form is a curricular team to make sure that we are working with the possibility of having to go to remote learning once again and what that would look like. You know, we learned some good lessons uh, from the program we did, you know, this last uh, spring. Now, what did you learn? What did you learn? Well, what we learned, we learned that we want to make sure that we have a good, robust platform for our families. But we also want to make sure we don't have too many platforms. Uh, Some of our schools, as they were trying different things out to best connect with families, uh, if you had multiple children in the school, you might have four or five different platforms uh, to work with from home, which, uh, you know, boy, that could drive anybody crazy. Uh, so we've really focused on how to work with these programs and make sure that principals are ready to uh, implement no more than two platforms for home usage within a school. Uh, we're also asked to make sure they're well prepared with the curriculum materials so parents know where we are in a pacing place, that as students are learning from home, what they should expect, where their students should be. Uh, what, where they should be in the curriculum, and moving forward. And we're asking an awful lot of our principals and our, our teachers during what would maybe be the time of recharging a bit, what they're actually doing is spending a lot of time in curricular renewal and preparation to make sure that should we have to slide in and out of remote learning throughout the course of the year, it's going to be a smooth transition. We did a remarkable job. I'm, I'm still re- uh, am amazed at how great our schools did with very little preparation time to launch what we did in the springtime. Yeah, I will certainly learning. second that the Archdiocese of Chicago Catholic Schools did a fabulous job as I was talking to teachers, principals, students, parents on both grammar school and high school level. I was very impressed on such short notice, had to flip it around and do at-home learning. Now, what about, I'm curious, 
that it's all going to happen at once. There's no there's no strategy for phasing numbers of kids back to school. So on day one of the beginning of school, everybody comes back. No, because just like any t- uh, type of learning process, that has to be done wisely and gradually. And so we're working with our schools that they do work with how they bring their students back. Maybe it's going to be the early elementary on one day, the middle elementary years, the second day, and then the middle school, the third day. Uh, each school will work with their numbers and uh, size to see what's the best plan. But we're going to have to teach our students how to come back into our building. Uh, simple routines that they've used for years, pick up, drop off, starting lines, line up and coming in. It's going to need some more work to work with it. You know, as we're having every children coming into the building, we're we'll going to be doing a wellness check and what that will look like and how our students need to be prepared to come through. For now, as kids come into the school, will they sanitize their hands and come in one at a time? We will be bringing students in uh, in, in different groupings. Many times they'll be uh, hopefully, uh, weather permitting, meeting on the parking lot together and meeting before they come to the building, and that will include a temperature check, a couple wellness questions that the teacher or designee will be asking the students, uh, sanitizing their hands, uh, you know, just from the car to the playground, a lot can happen. And uh, making oh, sure yeah. them in, and working on our traffic plan, bringing them in together, hopefully by cohort, uh, having designated doors for cohorts to enter into different buildings, and uh, making sure they come in small groups at a time to allow for minimization of exposure between cohorts, but also the safest entry plan as possible. Now, I do know, John, that uh, Catholic schools are still looking to recruit children. The doors are wide open. Give us a phone number and web for parents to learn more about Catholic schools and send their child to a Catholic grammar school or high school? Absolutely. They can uh, reach us on the web at schools.archchicago.org. One more time. Schools.archchicago.org. They can also call the individual schools, and they'll find those contact numbers all on our website. Or they can call the Office of Catholic Schools. Our office number is 312-534-5200. That number once again? Sure, 312-534-5200. Our thanks to John Glimko for that update on Chicago Catholic Schools. On The Voice of Charity this past week, host Bridget Murphy paid tribute to the outgoing president and CEO of Chicago Catholic Charities, Kathy Donahue. Here's a highlight. Kathy has had an absolutely extraordinary career with Catholic Charities. She has been with us for more than 40 years, She is a licensed clinical social worker who has received numerous awards throughout her career, including most recently the 2017 Unsung Heroine Award from the Cook County Commission on Women's Issues and the 2019 Management Excellence Award from Catholic Charities USA. Kathy started working at Catholic Charities, wait for it, in 1975, right after college. Her intelligence, warmth, and leadership abilities were quickly recognized, and she has risen through the ranks, contributing in significant ways to the expansion of programs and services throughout Cook and Lake Counties. Before becoming acting president of Catholic Charities last summer, Kathy served as senior vice president of program evaluation and development, overseeing strategic planning, novel initiatives, pilot programs, and leading quality improvement and accreditation activities for the agency. Through all her work, starting with that first job, Kathy gained an intimate understanding of all Catholic Charities service lines and the details of 
are amazing outcomes for individuals and families and communities on behalf of the Catholic Church. Kathy's efforts have been instrumental to helping Catholic charities become one of the largest social service providers in the country. And as we all know, most recently from the issues associated with the pandemic, social services are more important than ever. The last 12 months will be remembered as one of the most challenging periods in the history of Catholic charities. And Kathy has been lauded for the way she has steered the agency through this critical time with a focus always remaining on the needs of the people that we have the privilege to serve. An exhausted Kathy, I would imagine, retires at the end of this month and Sally Blount officially takes over as president, CEO, and administrator on August 1st. We are so honored to have this chance to thank Kathy and talk with her a little bit about her career on The Voice of Charity. Long introduction. Welcome, Kathy. Thank you. Happy to be here this morning. I hope you're sitting on your couch with a mimosa. Well, not not at 8 in the morning. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe later. In a couple weeks, you can yeah. do that. Yeah. Um, well, you know, no one obviously could have anticipated what this year would be like for you um, in terms of being acting president of Catholic Charities with such historic circumstances. Can you tell us how you've managed to navigate this crazy year? Well, you know, I was part of the senior administration team under Monsignor Boland for over 15 years. So, um, and he was great at developing teams. And so I thought to myself, you know, this is a difficult time to be stepping in, but it's also, I'm happy it's me because I've been around for 40 years. People know me by first name. It was a big disruption um, for Monsignor to retire when he did. And I think, um, it, you know, I could easily step in, take over the kind of schedule that he had already set up and sort of soothe people as they adjusted to the new change. So, um, you know, it's just because people who work at Catholic Charities were into a routine. They know what they're doing. Um, You just have to keep them inspired, and that's what I tried to do. I think um, mission accomplished. Um, In addition to Monsignor retiring uh, and and sitting in that chair for a year, I think I remember there are always things you don't know about the agency, even though you've been there for so long. So you're learning sort of all these new things, and Monsignor sat on a lot of boards of other institutions, and you're going to those meetings, and then we have a worldwide pandemic, just, you know, to add to to your load. Um, When did you first realize, okay, this really changes things? Well, I think in the beginning, you know, we've been through flu epidemics before. Um, You know, I wasn't around for the first one, but (laughs) many people died during that. But as the world evolved, they developed vaccines. And so in the beginning, I thought, well, they'll figure this out. We'll get a vaccine and we just have to be careful for a little while. But then when the death rate started to go up and we started realizing how serious this was, then um, we, I knew we had to totally revamp how we did our work. And, you know, early on we had a death of an employee who was a homemaker, and that profoundly woke us up. I mean, he was a wonderful guy, big teddy bear, took care of his client, and 
um, you know, was okay one day, and two days later he he had died. And so we realized how powerful this virus is and how quickly, and it just made us realize how careful we had to be and how protective we had to be of our employees and how important it is that we not abandon our clients. And especially I, I think of those seniors who are alone and we're the only people they see. You know, so you have a moral obligation to check in on them. So it's just it was very intense in terms of landing on the mission. How are we going to help people? Because I know the city of Chicago and the surrounding area, the whole Archdiocese of Chicago, were known to be there for people who are poor and struggling. They know they can turn to us and their church. And so it was important that we continue but we had to be really careful. Kathy, obviously you've been with the agency for a long time, and other than the incredible challenges you've guided us through in the last um, few months, what what were some of the new perspectives you um, got at sitting in the CEO chair? Oh, well, I'm, I'm a layperson, and so I think I realized how important it is that we are a faith-based agency. And so, you know, Monsignor would wear a collar. Clients would, God bless him, you know, ask him for a blessing. I would go to um, events, and people wouldn't know who I was. You know, he would wear a collar. And so I realized that I had to be really strong in demonstrating our faith in our work so that people understood that nothing was going to change, that we were going to stay centered in, you know, Catholic social teaching. And so I, it just became so important to me to know faith makes a difference. You know, that we are faith-based says a lot to the people that come to us who need help, and also to board members and employees. And we started praying on Mondays. We have over 100 people on the phone. Yeah. Um, It it just amazes me that um, uh, we have to remember who we are and where we came from. And that was the big... Now, I always knew it, but to be in the leadership role, I worked very hard to make sure that um, we reminded people of why we do what we do. Not only what we do, but why. Right. Um, and and let's go back a little bit. Um, we give folks scripts and then we go off script just to test them. So, um, <laughs> you know, let's go back to, the, you know, you came to Catholic Charities out of college and you had um, your first job was sort of filling in for people who were going on vacation, which I think is so perfect because you know more about the You've forgotten more about the agency than anyone else will ever know. And I think that's such a perfect start for you that you you saw everything. So tell us a little bit about those early years. Well, during the summer job, I, I, of course, I was out of college. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And I got to sit next to people who were working in adoption and watch a new family be created. Aww. And then I I would move into the foster care department, and I would see all these social workers protecting children. And then I worked, I created the first um, directory for the St. Vincent de Paul Society, and I 
started to learn what it is that they did at the parish level. You know, and then I was at the switchboard, and, um, you know, I was connecting people who were having problems with the right department. And I was like, oh, I love what they do here. This is what (laughs) I want to be. You know, how am I going to, how am I, you know, when this job is over, how am I going to stick around? Because um, I was so attracted to the work, and it was so meaningful. And there was a job that opened up at St. James in Maywood to be a volunteer coordinator. And uh, they got, I got hired. And, you know, 13 jobs later, <laughs> here I am. <laughs> oh. But, I mean, you know, like there are so many wonderful stories about the great work that um, I never wanted to leave. Yeah. And it's just so perfect because it, anyone who's worked with you, if you call Kathy or if she's on an email – she knows exactly who to connect you to. Don't, you know, make sure you talk to so-and-so. You want to connect that person to so-and-so. I mean, it's just encyclopedic. And yeah. Well, it, that's the beauty of Catholic Charities. There's someone somewhere that knows something about everything. Yeah. And where where else do you find that in life? You right. know, there, there are experts on every subject. So I'm not, I'm going to stay connected for that reason. Right. Yeah. Um. You have been a tremendous mentor to so many people at Catholic Charities, Kathy. Um, could you tell us a, about a couple of your mentors? Well, sure. I, um, I was My first supervisor was Ellen Gorney, and she was fantastic. She taught me everything I need to know to be a social worker. And um, she was also an expert at landing on the mission, um, and she could... Um, get to the root of what a problem was and how to solve it and how to always give away your power, how to always empower others. That was a great lesson. So many lessons I learned from her. But that has served me well in my life and in my work and in everything else, that when you can give the person you're encountering the power, um, wonderful things happen. And so she was one and then... Of course, Monsignor Boland, um, he had such a love for the poor that it was so easy to be next to him and walk with him. And when he asked you to do something, you wanted to do it because you knew the reason why was to help people. Right. You know, and Father, the priests that are around, they're so fantastic. Like Father Ruby started the whole loss program. Right. I was with him. There were a thousand people in a room talking about the person they lost to suicide and he has a way of giving everybody hope so it's that was so inspiring and father wayne watts i mean he he's such a minister to all of our board members and our clients that um you know just constant inspiration about um how if you really love people everything else works all the details of management work work their way out right um so you have been part of Catholic Charities is more than 100 years old and you have mm-hmm. been part of its evolution for mm-hmm. well over a third of that time. Mm-hmm. What do you credit to what do you credit its longevity? Well, it's because it's part of the Catholic Church. You know, the Catholic Church we're known in Chicago, we run cemeteries better than anyone. Uh we Catholic education um one time I was at a meeting with all the South Suburban mayors. Every one of them was educated by a Catholic school. 
or a Catholic university. Um, Catholic charities, you know, it's an institution. So, like, I've worked under four administrators in that career time, you know, and so I think what what the church does is it, it changes its leadership. It never remains stagnant. You know, um, administrators changed, and everyone brought different gifts. And when you institutions stand in the absence of the leader, and that is um, something I've always learned about the Catholic Church. You know, it's based in Scripture, something deeper than uh, a person, right, right, as a leader. And so that's why Catholic Charities, you know, it's stayed true to its mission. It's there to help the poor. And uh, no matter who's in charge, that that went on. You have to, you have to, you can't be um, ignorant of business practices, but you have to uh, um, always remember that you do this in the name of the church. So beautifully said. Um, we're breaking one of our cardinal rules for you, Kathy, because I think we have a special caller who wanted to say a few words. Anne, are you there? I am. Hi, everyone. This is Ann Gorlecki. She is in our government relations department, and we had to, we basically had a lottery to see what staff member could come on and share on behalf of the whole team just some thoughts about Kathy. So, Ann, congratulations on winning that lottery. Awesome. Um, You know what? I want to just say, too, it's funny you should call it a lottery because I really think working at Catholic Charities and working with Kathy specifically, I've won the lottery. I mean, Kathy, I'm listening to that, to Bridget talk about your career with the agency, and it is just amazing and so inspiring. And this is such a gift for me to have this chance to tell you on behalf of staff from the past, the present, and the future that you held this agency together this year. But even before this year, which has just been so darn nutty, you have been such a leader, such a quiet yet forceful leader for this agency, and it is just an honor to, to be able to tell you that and to say thank you to you. You are the servant leader that is written about, and you live that faith, you live that example, you inspire people in the community to get together and work with us. You make Catholic Charities be a place that people want to collaborate. But then internally, for every staff person, Kathy, you are such an amazing example and so inspirational. And I just I am happy for this opportunity to say thank you. Oh, my gosh, Ann. Unbelievable. <laughs> You're making me weep. <laughs> you know, I wrote down some notes, too, as Bridget was talking, and um, just that I'm thinking that, you recognize everyone's strengths from, like, the, the, the every, every employee at every level, Kathy. It's never mattered to you if it's someone that is, you know, directly serving clients, someone that's behind the scenes, someone that's in administration. Your door is open to everyone, and you never stopped being a social worker. For our clients and our staff, I, I have very clear examples that I'm, you know, not going to share, but very clear examples of how you helped people who were struggling in their personal lives because at your heart, at your core, that's who you are. You're a social worker, and through that, you've led this agency 
in such a remarkable way, and you believe in the best of Catholic charities, and that's what inspires me, that sometimes I look at this agency and I'm like, ah, there's so much potential here. It's so great, and there's so much more potential for greatness and to serve more, and that's because of you. I believe in this place. I believe in the people. I believe in the leadership because of you, and you're just such a gift, and you will be so very missed by me personally and by staff across the agency, but your legacy and your spirit and your leadership is something that we are going to hold on to forever. And thank you. Thank you. I really yeah. hope you get the rest that your heart and your soul <laughs> deserves. <laughs> and yeah. I certainly could go on and on, yes, but my, and- my basic message is just a big thank you. Oh, well. Thank you, and, you know, I've been so privileged in this career to meet all the people that work at Catholic Charities. I mean, one is more spectacular than the next. And, you know, who gets to live their faith like Mm -hmm. I do? You know, have a purpose to their work every single day. It's beautiful. And you you feel free to stay on the line. We only have a couple minutes left. Yeah. Um, I mean, we could just go on and on. And, and Kathy, we at, at... the Voice of Charity join with all of your fans and the countless people who want to thank you and honor you for just such an example that you continue to set. Um, I know Kathy has plans to stay very connected to Catholic Charities, but I feel like you should nap for about a month after the <laughs> year you've had. Um, as we close out, you know, what message would you like to share with our listeners Um with our our board and volunteers, you know, Catholic Charities is such a community, and we know you're not going far, um, but what would you like to share with folks about, you know, your time with Catholic Charities, the organization, and and really what it means to serve the the city? Well, I just want to say thank you for being in the center of where I am. You know, I'm able to encounter clients and uh, that reminds me of why we do what we do. And people who have nothing really spiritually develop. And so it's always given me life to see how resilient clients are. And then at the other end of the spectrum, we have board members who have everything. Not everything, but I mean, have been blessed in their life. And they're developed spiritually. And they're here because they care about other people. And I got to be in the middle of that to watch board members give and clients give and, you know, shine uh, with their brilliance. And so, you know, it's, some days it's even, it's overwhelming. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing to, to watch. It's been a privilege for me to work in that uh, arena. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been a great career. I can't imagine my life any different. Our thanks and best wishes go to Kathy Donahue as she transitions to the next chapter of her life. Stick around. After a short break, we will hear about a parish in Chicago's Buena Park neighborhood that serves at-risk residents of their neighborhood, especially immigrants. We'll be right back. Catholic Charities Senior Unity Mass is a wonderful tradition that gathers more than 300 seniors from Chicago and its suburbs each year for a celebration of faith and friendship. Since public health guidelines do not allow us to meet in person this summer, the 2020 Senior Unity Mass will be held online on Thursday, August 6th at 11 a.m. 
Anyone age 55 plus is cordially invited. Find your nearest computer and log in to youtube.com, then type Catholic Chicago. We and our special guests are excited to stay connected to all of the seniors we care so very much about with this special event. That's the Catholic Charities Senior Unity Mass on August 6th at 11 a.m. on youtube.com slash Catholic Chicago. We hope to see you there. The Cemetery Ministry is a core ministry of our Catholic faith tied to the corporal works of mercy. It's comforting to know that our Catholic cemeteries are caring for the remains of our loved ones awaiting the resurrection. There are 44 Archdiocese of Chicago Catholic cemeteries willing to help you in your time of loss. Call 708-449-6100 or visit catholiccemeterychicago.org. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837. You're listening to Catholic Chicago Week in Review on Relevant Radio, 9.50 a.m. and 9.30 a.m. Every Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m., the Archdiocese of Chicago presents programming about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Thanks for letting us be part of your morning. Now again, Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Welcome back to Catholic Chicago Week in Review. St. Mary of the Lake Parish in Chicago's Buena Park neighborhood opened a pop-up food pantry in collaboration with the Greater Chicago Food Depository. This food pantry serves at-risk residents of the neighborhood, especially immigrants. St. Mary of the Lake Parish was highlighted on a special edition of Catholic Chicago this past Thursday. Let's listen in. We're going to be talking to some very important women from St. Mary of the Lake Parish. Pamela Matabanazzo, she's the president of St. Vincent de Paul Conference at St. Mary of the Lake Parish. She's also a volunteer worker for the society, both at the regional and national level. And she's also current African-American task force chairperson. The task force is part of the Multicultural Diversity Committee of the society's national office. She also does advocacy work for Voice of the Poor. Good morning, Pamela. Good morning, Mark. Good morning. And now, and, uh, and we're Claire De Hotels is the new director of outreach and justice ministry at Saint Mary of the Lake. She's currently working toward her master's of divinity degree at Loyola Institute of Pastoral Study, which is where I got one of my degrees. I think it was a little wood hut when I went to school there. But um, Saint Mary of the Lake Parish in Chicago is in Buena Park neighborhood. And in collaboration with the Greater Food Depository, they opened up a pop-up food pantry to serve the needs of at-risk residents. How wonderful. And especially immigrants. Pamela and Claire, before we get into the food depository, which I have beautiful images from TV of people welcoming people at the steps of your church to receive food and workers in your parish, I saw them, you know, dividing the food. And before we get into that, Pamela and Claire, how did you get so interested in social service ministries? Pamela? Uh, I guess mine probably would be just um, that Catholic education, I think. Uh, I was educated by the Dominican nuns, um, and that giving aspect and giving of yourself has always been part of you know, my education from grade school and also at home. Um, my parents sort of like instilled that in us. 
Um, so that's sort of like historically where mine comes from. And where's home? Where's home originally? Oh, I'm from Zimbabwe. Say it again. Zimbabwe. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. And Claire, what about you? Where did where did this uh, passion for social ministry come from? Yeah, I would say as a young person, um, similarly, I was also involved um, with the church, but more specifically in service and justice work um, as a youth, as kind of my introduction to faith as a child. Um, so from there, I guess my my understanding of church and the Christian faith has been rooted in service in the community and building relationships with um, folks who are um, most in need of that community. How wonderful. How do you two work together? So my, my work is more—I'm a volunteer, mm-hmm. um, and um, because I am with the St. Vincent de Paul Society, um, and ours is more the charity-based um, work um, at the parish, um, but Claire uh, comes in with these um, social justice issues, and um, from our aspect, um, you know, and this is probably like a, a deep belief of mine that um, in order to make a change in the world, we need to walk with two feet, you know, that mm-hmm. of charity and justice, and it, it makes it very easy for us to to work together, because at the end of the day, um, the goal is the same. It sure is. It sure is. Claire, what about you with Pamela? How do you see you working together? Yes, I think um, exactly what you said, the two feet of um, charity and justice. My position at St. Mary's um, is newer, uh, so I think as a community, St. Mary's is really looking to build off of the amazing work that Pam has been doing um, with St. Vincent de Paul and at St. Mary's and allowing us to kind of broaden our scope of asking, why are these needs arising in our communities and how can we more holistically um, approach them and be a good neighbor? Can you define for folks, for our listeners, St. Mary of the Lake Parish. What's the makeup? I would say we're very diverse, um, but it's been like very changing mm-hmm. um, community. Uh, you know, I guess when I first got to the parish, which is about 20 years ago, um, it, it is it is different. I guess traditionally we're like an, uh, we would be what we would call the Irish Catholic type of um neighborhood, mm-hmm. um, but through the changes uh, that the city has gone through, you know, we've sort of like gone through those changes. So we do have um, a lot of, um, um, oh, I don't know what the politically correct word to say, <laughs> um, but we, we have senior, um, a lot of senior citizens, because we do have uh, an area that services a lot of that has a lot of um, assisted living and stuff. So we do have that demographic uh, that that comes in, which is predominantly white. Um, and then we have uh, the younger generation that has come in, which is more through the gentrification that we've seen through the, the past years. Mm-hmm. Um, before, it used to be more or less um, people that didn't stay long. They would be, as they got out of college, um, you know, City life, loved, you know, just being around the Ligleyfield Library area um, that we have. Um, so, generally, before they used to leave, but um, 
in recent years, they've stayed and started living, you know, bringing up their families. So they're a greater part of what we what we see as the newer group of people that are, are taking root within within our community. You're on the fringe yeah. fringe of Uptown, right? Winner Park, yeah. Winner Park, Uptown area, and then we fringe right, right into the um, Ridley area. So there's an element of homeless in your area too, correct? Yes, yes. I was about to cover that. Yeah. Uh, we, we also do have some of the, a lot of the social services. Um, we have a lot of housing um, also that is, that is available for people. Um, in that, in that, in, in our, in our, in our area. Can, um, can we talk a little bit? I want to make sure we talk about the food pantry. I want to talk about what you're doing, but I also want to talk about how people can help. So, um, how did this happen? How did this food? My, now, let me tell you. So, my familiarity is in the in the trib, but also uh, there were news feature stories and I and the images of people on your steps greeting people people inside the church organizing the food bringing it out to people and all i thought when i saw that story was wow that's what the church is about that's what we're about and how did that happen it's it's quite a funny story um as the shutdowns were beginning um i remember um father at the time had was was uh in colombia and I spoke to him, and he's like, Pam, what's going on? And, you know, we were just talking about um, some of the aspects of, of, you know, the scariness of the unknown as we got into the pandemic. Um, and, you know, where are people getting food? And we just started talking about it and trying to see how we can. And I remember when Father came back, you know, he called a few of us and said, um, you know, can we talk about it? Can we see what, what what's happening and how we can get about it? And it was quite incredible because I think uh, in a matter of days, our team grew to 20. Um, and I think by the time we got to these cuts of, our, you know, the, the main part of the distribution, we were probably about 200 people that had signed up to help out. And wow. it's been it's been incredible. Um the community, um, just people. In fact, even some of the days when we were giving out food, some neighbors would be walking by and and they'd say, "Can I help? How can I help? What do you need?" So it's it's been way more um, volunteer volunteers than we've had in 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 the past. Uh, it's just it's been really heartfelt. I mean, we we are a giving parish. It's a very um, generous people um, that I've worked with throughout the years, but um, reaching out to, to people and deciding that as we went into it um, to to discuss and see who exactly is vulnerable and what are the, the things that stand in the way, um, issues like um, the immigrant, immigrant community, um, how do we reach them, how do we tell them that this is safe? Uh, for them to come, um, you know, there's, there's all these different things that people are bar- barriers mm-hmm. to entry for people. Um, how can think, people? How can people get involved? Claire, do you have a maybe a connect a website or a number that people can call if they want to get involved, either as a volunteer in the food pantry or possibly to donate? 
Yeah, so we are actually, the pantry is going through a transition right now um, to make it more of a sustainable long-term option. We are actually partnering with Lakeview Pantry, who is down the road from us, Mm -hmm. um, to distribute out of their facility. Um, So that, we are in the in-between of kicking off that aspect, Um, so working to get our organized volunteers and shadow under Lakeview Pantry, um, but anyone would be able to um, contact me at the church as we are kind of getting that situated. Can you give um, them a contact info? Yes. Um, my email is C as in Claire and my last name Des Hotels, D-E-S-H-O-T-E-L-S at stmarys.org. Could you repeat that one more time for folks? Yes. C as in Claire, my first name, and then my last name, Des Hotels, D-E-S-H-O-T-E-L-S, at St. Mary's, spelled out saint, um, dot org. Wonderful. Now we have a few more minutes. What I'd like to ask both of you, I'll start with Claire and then Pam, what saint inspires you for this work? Oh, um... I'm not sure this is cheating the question, uh, but <laughs> obviously right now Dorothy Day Sainthood is... Um, we'll, include, uh, we'll include her in. Okay, a topic <laughs> of discussion, um, but Dorothy Day is always... Um, she's just been a key figure and inspiration in my own Catholic faith and really how she lived her life um, in the presence of the community and being present with people's um, physical and holistic needs, um, really getting her hands dirty and what it means to love and to serve. Um, and that serves as an inspiration for me every day. Beautiful. Pamela, what about what saint inspires you? Mine is easy. St. Vincent de Paul. Oh, there he is. There he is. <laughs> yes, and it's just all that, um, you know, my dedication is to fighting poverty, helping the poor, helping the vulnerable. This is a little reminiscent, but my dad was Vincent DePaul at St. Clement's when I was growing up. I remember him taking me on calls Christmas, Easter time, at different times when people needed things. And what I learned walking with him is there are the hidden poor in our communities. It's not, sure. it's not always obvious, uh, but the ministry is so, so important. Well, I would like to thank Pamela Mata Bonazzo and Claire De Hotels for their commitment, commitment to the poor at St. Mary of the Lake. That, that commitment reaches out, stretches out across the city. So the good work you are doing will be blessed. It is blessed. For more information about all that is happening at St. Mary of the Lake Parish, visit stmarys.org. Our final segment today comes from our missions program. Megan Mio talked with a guest who ministers in Uganda, Kenya, and Tanzania. Here is a highlight. Today we have with us Brother Charles Nuagaba, a vowed member of the Brothers of St. Charles Luanga, also known as the Bana Karoli Brothers. Brother Charles is the previous Assistant Provincial Vicar for his congregation, which works in Uganda, Kenya, and Tanzania. He happens to be here in Chicago now because he is studying at Loyola University, working on a Master's in Pastoral Counseling. We have him here by phone. So good morning, and thank you for joining us today, Brother Charles. 
Uh, good morning, Sanchi Megan. Uh, I am happy to be part of this program. It's great. Thanks so much. Um, now, as I mentioned, uh, Brother Charles is studying at Loyola, but this is not the first time he has visited Chicago. He was here from 2005 to 2009 uh, studying for a bachelor's and his first master's degree at Loyola. Um, and since that time, he has visited almost every year, usually in the summers, so that he can represent the brothers and speak as part of the mission cooperation plan. And this is how we came to know him at the mission office. So he has a, um, a, a good relationship here with the folks of Chicago, having come so many times. He does an excellent job of raising awareness for mission. So, Brother Charles, you're studying at Loyola right now. Can you tell us about the education that you've been pursuing here in Chicago and how it helps you minister back in East Africa? Oh, thank you very much. Uh, education, which I have acquired from Royal University in Chicago, uh, has shaped me in a different ways, and uh, especially about uh, social justice, mm -hmm. the way I look at things, the way I integrate faith and hope into my services to the poor and the vulnerable people. Mm. And this has made a, a big impact in my communities about uh, defining how I can integrate social justice into my services. Right, yeah. So and now currently you're studying pastoral counseling, and previously what had you studied for the bachelor's and, and the previous master's? Uh, for my bachelor's I had it in economics, and my mm. master's I had it in education, specializing in the uh, administration and supervision, and in uh, 2019, I went back home. Uh, right, okay. Now, and those are all very practical uh, areas of study, um, and I, I guess uh, you've probably put those to use as well um, in, in working in, in schools with the education degree and, and some of the finances for the congregation? Yes. Uh, practically, the way uh, our, our way of life as, as brothers is reflected in our services to the poor. Mm -hmm. And we are committed to human dignity and the social justice. Yeah. What we are doing is all about the faith and hope. How can we integrate this into our services? Mm -hmm. And we are the voice to the vulnerable people. Mm -hmm. So my work has been creating social change among these vulnerable people and marginalized communities. The marginalized, yeah. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you say, when I ask the question about, well, what have you obtained from this education? I mean, I'll admit, I'm going to admit my bias here. I was thinking, well, what have you studied? You know, what is the, the, the subject matter? And you responded, I've learned how to integrate social justice <laughs> into, you know, every aspect of what I do. Um, I think that's a credit to Loyola University. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think the integration of faith and, of faith and hope and social justice yeah. is very important for our communities. Yeah, because anything and everything that you learn at that level can be applied yes. to change people's lives for the better, to bring them hope and um, and bring change into um, unjust situations. Um, and, and now, just to clarify this too, you're working on pastoral counseling now, and, and just mentioning for our audience, you recently celebrated your 25th Jubilee, your anniversary of your vocation as a brother. Um, yes. But you're working on a new degree in a new area. Um, why is it that you've chosen to continue now with the studies? Uh, I have chosen to come back to do uh, pastoral counseling because 
uh, as I found out uh, in my country, mm-hmm. uh, there is a big need for uh, for having people who do uh, counseling. Mm-hmm. And uh, on top of that, uh, as we integrate uh, social justice, you know, you have to know that some of our people we serve come from different backgrounds, mm-hmm. and it's very important to have this knowledge so that we can help them from the grassroots. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, I think it's one thing to make sure people have enough to eat and make sure they're in a safe place, but it's another to really help them heal from the inside out, um, their spirituality, their sense of, of who they are, and, um, and yeah, if they've had traumatic experiences, pastoral counseling is essential. Yes, and, uh, and during my ministry, I have met too many youth who struggle with mental health and lack of options for clinical treatment. Mm-hmm. So as I am acquiring this uh, master's degree in pastoral counseling, I think it will help me to acquire the necessary formal skills to handle such a vulnerable people in giving them a way forward. Wow. Yeah. Well, I applaud your continued um, response to whatever the need is. You, you get the education you need and you bring it back. Um, and we're very lucky, of course, that you're here in Chicago right now. Um, so can you just tell us in general a little bit more? I know you've already mentioned a few types of ministries. Um, you know, okay. Who are the brothers of St. Charles Luanga, also known as Bena Caroli? And um, how were they founded? What was the origin? Okay, the Brothers of St. Charles Luanga uh, is an indigenous religious order which was founded in Uganda in 1927 and purposely for giving education to the youth and Christian values. Mm-hmm. So the brothers accompany young people in creation of hope-filled future. Mm-hmm. The brothers have extensive network of schools and training institutes for vocational skills. Yeah. We give a special attention to the education of girls, young mm-hmm. women, mm-hmm. including teenager mothers, who have been forced to leave schools to care for their young children and who are among the most vulnerable human beings in the society. Mm-hmm. We work with them to protect both their unborn children and their dependent ones. Mm-hmm. Some of our brothers work in orphanages and slums mm-hmm. where we rescue, rehabilitate, mm-hmm. educate, right. and integrate thousands of children from streets and slums. Mm-hmm. And the brothers work hard to strengthen communities through grassroots by helping people help others. And for many years, since 1927, mm-hmm. we have been agents of social transformation in the marginalized communities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At our schools, we work hard to foster dignity and respect for each other. And we believe that the most fulfilling thing in life is helping people to help others. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's, you know, I think the thing that's the most amazing work, especially when working with young people and children, is this is a, a new generation, and that that they'll ab- they're able when they come of age then to make humongous change. Um, especially the more children you work with. And it sounds like all different kinds of situations. I know it's three different countries that the brothers are in, in East Africa. 
Um, and I also would like to say that when Brother Charles has visited us in the past, you bring some of the handiwork, the crafting that your students do, and it's beautiful. It's amazing. Um, yes, and and learned. you know this young bo- young ch- the youth, as I say, that we give them education to go and help others. Yeah. They go back and do the same to their communities. But right, right, right. They take it back. They share it with others, uh, and it becomes a huge. Um, a movement for change. Wonderful. Well, I mean, I'd like us to at least touch on this before we take our break. Um, of course, we know that COVID-19, this pandemic, is affecting everybody around the whole world. It must be affecting the communities where the brothers are ministering as well. What can you tell us about the state of things? Oh, uh, COVID-19 really has been a very big challenge to us into our communities. As I said, that we serve among the vulnerable and marginalized people. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, the most we have been somehow successful. Uh, we have not incurred any uh, many deaths in Uganda. In fact, in Uganda has not registered any deaths. No deaths. Wow. Kenya have registered few deaths, more, not more than ten, and Tanzania have not registered any deaths. Okay. But I think uh, part of our focus has been like uh, uh, community connection, mm-hmm. community of listeners. Mm-hmm community of sharing and helping each other. Okay. And our focus has been how we educate the community to protect themselves, mm. how they can interact, how okay. to gather, and how to support each other. And despite the fact that we have many challenges, especially we don't have some of the facilities, we don't have running water, mm. we don't have enough soap and masks, mm-hmm. but uh, Helping each other has been part of our mission, mm-hmm. and people have been really uh, uh, very sensitive about that. Mm-hmm. We have, uh, from good friends and good will wishers, we have managed to uh, supply them with masks, mm-hmm. teach them how to do social distancing, mm-hmm. washing their hands, mm-hmm. and community supportive because every person cares for another. And I think this has helped us to uh, accomplish part of our mission in uh, reducing the spread of COVID-19. Oh, that's a miracle. It's wonderful to hear. Yes, um, I think the community itself when it is energized and they know what they want and they have the space and they can help each other, yeah. it makes a difference. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a lesson we're learning here. In the United yes. States, we I think people have come through in many ways. There's occasions where maybe not so, but um, that we're learning about how we really do need each other and we do uh, can help each other uh, in so many ways. We'd like to thank Brother Charles for joining Megan for Mission Matters. Here's a reminder that you can attend Mass online by visiting our website, archchicago.org. That's archchicago.org. The Masses are also available on Facebook and our YouTube channel youtube.com slash catholicchicago. Our thanks to ABC7 for televising our English Sunday Mass at 9.30 in the morning, to Univision for televising our Spanish language Mass at 10 a.m., and Polevision for televising our Polish language Mass Sunday at 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. Thanks for listening to us every Saturday morning on Relevant Radio 9.50 and 9.30 a.m. I'm Michael May for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Have a great weekend. Join us every Saturday morning for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. You can stream our programs live or listen to past programs by visiting our website, archchicago.org, and clicking on Radio TV. 
and please connect with Catholic Chicago on social media.